policies, a new top tax rate, a national infrastructure bank, and politics. I would describe it not as a bottom line, but as a top priority. I think you've picked up any votes? I don't think it. I know we have. Welcome to One News Inside Parliament. It's a weekly catch-up about the political stories we've been covering on One News as we head towards the October election. And it feels like finally we are actually in campaign mode yet again. But this is campaign 2.0, I guess, and we're back into the swing of things. So... 2.0, baby, <laughs> let's go. Let's start off with our pits and our peaks. What, let's, let's start positive this week. And, and just also worth noting that Benedict Collins is out on the road uh, at the moment um, with Judith Collins, so he can't be with us in person, but I'm sure he'll chip in a bit later on. So positives. Yeah, the positives is that we are back into campaign mode um, and I just got back uh, into Wellington last night having been with Jacinda Ardern um, earlier this week. Uh, we went to uh, Tauranga uh, and also Rotorua uh, some big policy announcements there and it was just really good to sort of get out and about in the provinces out in the towns and cities and sort of get a feel for where the public thinking is at and public uh, excitement or lack thereof, if you like, um, when it comes to the election. So it was really cool to get out and about and get amongst it. Uh, and my pick this week, we've been doing a bit of prep for the big debates that are coming up. We've got um, the First Leaders debate that's hosted by John Campbell. We've got a youth debate as well that Jack Tame is doing. I'm doing the multi-party debate a couple of weeks out from the election and then I'm doing the final leaders debate a few days before the election. So those are now just a few days and few weeks away and that's beginning to feel really exciting. And it's just the chance to see those leaders go head to head, uh, see their chemistry, hear their sales pitch for your vote. Uh, and also in that multi-leaders debate, kind of see the chemistry and see the energy um, between them. Perhaps might be a little bit of a free-for-all, but I think you'll get to see them interact as well and, and for political junkies and nerds like yeah. us, it's pretty exciting. I'm really looking forward to those debates actually and just to see the kind of style that Jacinda Ardern and Judith Collin Collins brings to that debate and how they interact with each other, whether they'll be respectful and, and quite um, uh, straight about it, or whether we might see a few digs and, a, uh, you know, just, just where it'll go. Yeah, um, it'll and, be interesting. And the, the way that they approach things is both very authentic to them, but are both very contrasting styles. So it'll be really interesting to see uh, who's whose style kind of becomes more dominant mm. in it and, and what they kind of, how they interact and, and what kind of language and body language and all of that kind of stuff. And that's that's the beauty of television. You get to see all of that. So such fun for yes, all of us. Yes, absolutely. Um, I guess with the negatives, one of the things that, um, one of the challenges, and I guess this gives you an insight into behind the scenes. So at the moment, logistically, we're sitting down and trying to figure out um, where all the leaders are uh, in the country and we're obviously with them wherever they are. So uh, for us, that means a lot of um, behind behind the scenes organisation of travel and accommodation, etc. At the moment, because of COVID, the flights are such a nightmare. And I think that's been one of the things that has been a real challenge is trying to get places and do things. And um, for anyone who is catching the odd flight at the moment, you'll realise this, it's just limited flight numbers. And I think um, that's made campaigning like no other. Usually what happens is we go and we we try and get there before the MP or on the same flight as them. But at the moment, what's happening is there's just 
it's just so hard to get to places. So we're either having to use our crews and reporters there and send stuff back or having to go the night before. So there's a little bit of an insight into our world the last week or so. Yes, yesterday uh, returning from Tauranga, um, supposed to be heading to Auckland and then catching another flight to Wellington. Our Tauranga flight was delayed by an hour and a half. It made us miss our Wellington, uh, Auckland to Wellington flight. Um, but luckily we were able to stay in Auckland for the day and work from there and then fly out last night. So all of those things, um, the logistics is, is a little bit tricky at the moment. But um, yeah, it's good to be, be back out on the campaign and also we had Katie Bradford down um, south with Winston Peters uh, this week and the New Zealand first um, back your future bus Uh, and so it was interesting also just to keep an eye on what um, they're up to down there. Yeah and I think him on the campaign trail he just loves it he kind of comes alive a little bit um, and you see a little bit of the old Winston Peters sparkle that you don't see every day that you're in this place, but I feel like you do when he's out and about. Um, maybe it's something to do with that bus. Yeah, and one thing I will say actually is that, you know, being out and about this week, you really do appreciate um, that people really enjoy seeing politicians out and about. Mm-hmm. I mean, they love to sort of go up and get the, the amount of selfies that that I saw this week, you know, just mind boggling and um, but they people love it and then you know we heard when Winston Peters was down south you know a young guy just saying oh look really cool to see a New Zealand politician in a small town like Mosgill um, and so uh, that's that's what, what what they're up to why it counts getting out there engaging with people so um, yeah and yeah, be you good. know there's a lot to be said for getting out there on social media and things like that but there's never more than a handshake or a well not in this current climate but an elbow um, join um, to say hey look I'd like your vote can I please have it eye contact all of that kind of stuff so it's good Um, Benedict Collins can't be here in person but I'm sure he'll have some things that he wants to chat about so out in Palmerston North here's what Benedict Collins had to say to help people. Remember, of course, this is the party that really ripped up hysteria around meth when they were in government. So, yeah, pretty interesting change of tech there. But I'd have to say my highlight from so far, week one out on the uh, campaign trail, would have to be following Judith through a trek to shop in Waipukuro, where the boys had left up all their uh, half-naked women on their posters all across the factory. Not ideal when you've got the uh, leader of the opposition or the National Party leader, Judith Collins, coming to town. So we had a couple of big policies um, to start off the week from Labour. We had um, the Matariki public holiday and from the National Party we had um, the plan to tackle uh, meth in our communities. And so if we start with um, Labour, uh, with the Matariki public holiday, I think, you know, a big bold, symbolic um, policy there from the Labour Party, an easy vote winner, if you like, um, in many respects, who doesn't like an extra day off, um, but hugely symbolic um, from a Māori point of view to have the Māori New Year um, up on the calendar as a public holiday next to the likes of the Queen's Birthday Labour Weekend, Anzac Day. I mean, the Prime Minister said it's about time, and I think at least many Māori will agree with it. So um, a popular 
policy decision there. And I think it's no accident that she chose to make the announcement, obviously, in Rotorua uh, there. It's, uh, they're scrapping over that seat at the moment. Tamati was, Tamati Coffee was standing there with her um, right next to her in, in the shot. So I think that's going to be one of the things that he can kind of go out and sell to people. And I think that that's part of it too. Though you, a couple of those Māori seats are going to be really scrappy, and that might be a little bit that helps out. Uh, yeah, you had all of the Māori, pretty much all of the Māori caucus MPs there um, at that announcement, and so I think they'll take that as a big win, and they'll be able to shop that around in their electorates. Yeah, and I think there's a few things that tie into it. Obviously, this whole election is under the umbrella of COVID, and the government is saying, look, we want to make um, Matariki an international attraction to try and get tourists back in um, when it's introduced in 2022. But that also, for a lot of us on long weekends, what do we do? Um, you might pack up and go and visit uh, family or you might decide, oh, we're going to go for a little mini holiday. And, and I think long weekends encourage families to get out and do that. So uh, even in 2022, that the tourism market, that's going to be a little boost as well. The people who won't be happy with it are, of course, the business owners that have to pay extra for the extra day off. But if you in the hospitality industry or the tourism industry, what you're getting in is is going to weigh you know weigh up with that. I have to say personally, it would be quite nice just to have an extra day. And it's in that it's in that zone when there's no public holidays. We have that kind of the dark months of winter of when winter. We, we've got Queen's birthday in June, and then we it, it's a while until Labor Day. So I just think it's it's very well well chosen for lots of reasons. Yeah, and we did hear from a number of tourist providers um, who were in Rotorua and they said, again, that that three-day weekend just brings in so much extra um, cash for them in terms of people getting out and about and travelling around the country. Um, so I think from that perspective, um, you know, it sort of balances out the narrative or the debate um, in that sort of business industry, the business sector, um, when you have, you know, uh, uh, sectors like tourism sort of supporting it because we know through COVID-19 the tourism and hospitality sectors have been the ones to really um, be brought to their knees on this so to have them backing it is is big. The other thing of course is that um, it, you know like I said it, it, it does well for Labour in that Māori vote because they do have a strong Māori voter base. They hold all seven of the Māori electorate seats and so to bring this out is pretty much shoring up that support base um, and shoring up perhaps uh, those seven Māori seats. The Māori party would have been nervous when they saw that policy come out because that is just a big tick um, for the Labour Party. And if you, if you look back, you know, obviously there is still a lot of sort of uh, voters out there, Māori voters who are still, you know... Uh, remembering the foreshore and seabed that damaged the Labour Party quite a bit and every time you bring up the Labour Party with Māori voters the issue of the foreshore and seabed always gets dredged up but over this term what we've seen is the Labour Party bring in the teaching of New Zealand histories in schools, the Labour Party recognising a, a national day uh, of remembrance for the New Zealand land wars and so you add on a Matariki public holiday to that Three ticks. That's you know that's that's a solid sort of record um, that Labor's Māori MPs can point to when they're shopping around um, trying to get those votes this election. Let's flick now to Nationals policy. So Meth was there, one that they come out with on the Monday that kind of frames the the rest of the week. And there are a few details with that. Um, so those thirteen uh, new detox beds uh, to try and 
help people recover um, and 50 million dollars pumped into that. What was your take? I think what we saw was a very measured policy from the National Party um, because we have, you know, I covered off uh, their sort of um, gang policy a few weeks back um, in Taupo uh, from memory and, um, you know, there were a lot of strong words there um, in terms of sort of tackling the gang issues but we didn't really see that even though, um, you know, meth um, can be linked back to gangs can be linked back to all sectors of society and I think that is the point where Judith Collins struck the right note is that she was clear that meth um, you know impacts every job um, every family whether directly or indirectly you sort of know someone um, who's getting caught up in that and so I think they took a very measured approach in terms of um, the health-based approach on this in terms of more beds, in terms of experts based in each DHB, in terms of more cash for community programs. Um, so yeah, it was it was quite a good policy actually. Politically as well, I think it, it also shores up their base. They, we're doing something about crime that's sort of um, tough on crime, we're going to crack down on things. And I, and I think in terms of when you talk about it, impacting lots of people in society. It's obviously the people who are impacted by P, whether it's, um, you know, neighbours or whether it's um, family members or whatever it is. Workplaces. Um, yeah, those those people, that is a tick for. But also for people who perhaps aren't, are, are more isolated from it, the idea of, of doing something about P, knowing it's such a, such a big problem in New Zealand, that ticks a box for them too, so I think politically because it also leads to crime as well. Yeah. So if you're not if you're not directly impacted by it, there's also the issues of, of it leading to crime, leading to you know issues around our children and all of those things. So it's it's pretty much in every every Facet. corner of yeah. society, yeah. whether you realise it or not. So I think um, that's a good thing. And then on, in terms of cracking down on it, um, good to see more. Um, Things like more sniffer dogs at airports, more cash for um, uh, at the border to help with seizing the products and all of that. So they kind of covered off both bases, if you like. Yeah, it's interesting. And I, I, get, I wonder what um, all of these travel restrictions are going to have on the meth world with people coming in. I had that just when you said that about travel. That's something for, a, for another well, day. Pretty to wily, those uh, <laughs> smugglers. Sneak them in. <laughs> um, the other, talking of wily, I'm not really sure if that segues that well. Grant Robertson might like that description. Uh, we had the big tax policy uh, yesterday from Labour as well. So this is where uh, Labour gets to lay out what it's going to do uh, post-election if it gets in in um, after after the election. So the top tax rate shifting to 39% for anyone earning over $180,000. So roughly that translate if you're getting over $200,000, about $23 extra a week or $1,200 a year. So a couple of interesting things with that. It's it's a tweak for those high income earners. It affects 2% of New Zealand, so the very, very highest earners. The, for the rest of New Zealand, nothing changes. So for the majority of people, nothing changes at all. So what's interesting here is that obviously for national, it's quite an easy uh you know, Labor's all about tax and and getting in there. So Labor wanted to get in early, say, look, this is what we're doing. We're being um, fiscally responsible. We're being safe managers of the economy. Rest assured, don't worry. But on the other side, in this time of COVID, 
just not quite doing enough uh, to be able to satisfy the Labour and perhaps Green supporters that are like, well, you could really do something about inequality during this time. Why are you not making a bold, transformative move? So I thought it was a really interesting policy. And I have to say, you know, being in the room with Grant Robertson, he didn't exactly feel like he was fizzing about making the announcement. And usually, you know, he would be about taxes as the finance minister and Labor's finance spokesperson. He was delivering it, but he you didn't get the sense that this had been a day he'd been dreaming about for a long time. He would have liked to have done something more bold. Mm, something more bold, yeah, because it, it you do have to question whether it is more of a symbolic policy than anything else, given that it is only pulling in around $500 million, which isn't very much, especially when you're looking down the barrel of our debt figures due to COVID. Um, so, you know, $500 million, is it, is it is it very much cash to be pulling in from that type of a policy? Could he pull, have pulled in more? Is it is it symbolic? All of those things, you know, no doubt being debated around the, uh, the uh, work uh, kitchen station at the moment. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I, I quite liked Winston's description as well. He was basically like, oh, for people earning that much money, it's a coffee a day. They're not going to notice at all. So that was quite a nice analogy um, from Winston Peters. But for the Labour well. Party base and 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 those um, supporters of it, um, they would they they no doubt would have liked would have liked to would like. Oh my God! Would have liked? No, they like to more? see it. They yeah. like to see it, mate. They're like, yeah, tax the top two percent. That's what I want yeah. to see. Yeah, like they're making so much cash anyway, they can help sort of contribute um, more than they are at the moment. Yeah, they get enough cash, a coffee a day. Send it my way. What so, <laughs> that, <laughs> was, that was nice. That was good. Um, in terms of politicians as well, um, just when we were talking about this before the podcast, it came up that um, for the backbench MPs, obviously they don't have to pay anything extra. The guys around the cabinet table will be part of that higher income earners. They will be having to chip in. But yeah, some of the some of the backbenchers, um, who a lot of people would consider to be high income earners, aren't included. In that, so is this also a bit of an appeasement for not going through with the capital gains tax? Ah, well, that's just a whole other thing. They, uh, yeah, and I think they put out on that one. Yeah, and and so they're sort of trying to bring at least something to the table. And the the finance minister was asked about that yesterday as well. It's like you're you're taxing wealth, but you're not doing anything about um, property. You're not doing anything about shares. And um, there were questions around that, saying, "Look, why why not? You're just encouraging people to go into housing, uh, and that's fueling the whole problem in the first place." So it was, yeah. I, I just think that it was interesting, but um, perhaps not not risky or bold or exciting like he was concerned about. Good to get it out of the way early to week one. Sure, yeah, and you're absolutely right. Shall we just have a quick brief chat about um, the migration stuff that you were doing yesterday as well, because that was an important story. Yeah, yeah, big changes at the border. So um, uh, yesterday the government announced a a relaxing of the rules, if you like, for um, migrant workers who would normally have been living here in New Zealand who may have got caught out overseas when the borders closed. So anyone who left New Zealand from the 1st of December last year um, who still has a job to come home to... um, 
still has a an appropriate work visa, um, they can come back now. They can apply to come back. And I've been sort of dealing with a family um, who is stuck in South America. Um, a couple they moved here just over ten years ago, and their two daughters were born here. They go back home for Christmas to see their family, and then the borders start shutting up, and um, they really did try to get back in, and they missed the cutoff by a few hours. And so they've been stuck in South America, and, and you know the pressure that they talk about, the stress, the financial stress, all of their things here in New Zealand and their home having to be put in storage because their employer needs, you know, a worker on the farm, which is what, um, which is what they do. They need the worker, so they need the house, so that you know all of that. And the and the employers are very supportive, and they've tried to go through MB to get them back here, and just couldn't do it because of the you know lack of capacity at MIQ facilities. We obviously had huge numbers of New Zealanders coming home, so they were the first priority. But now that we have got capacity up um, to to a level which allows more people to come back in our borders, um, we are seeing that. Um, sort of widening of the net and I think many um, migrant workers a lot of whom we rely on here in New Zealand will be happy to hear it. Yeah and I think it's just one of the issues that's having to be ironed out with this huge thing that's going on at the moment and perhaps could have been done a bit quicker but at least now it is being dealt with and is being addressed and and that's for that particular family especially really welcome relief. Yeah, and also changes for partners of New Zealand citizens and residents mm. so they'll be allowed to come back through the border now, um, anyone from Australia and 61 other countries I interviewed someone yesterday that I'd also done a story on previously her fiance is um, in the US um, and I interviewed her yesterday, I rang her up and said hey look these changes are coming in and she's like oh mate we've, you know, we've already got travel plans to meet in the UK next week because because we just can't bear to be apart for too much longer. So she's flying to the UK. Um, her fiancé is flying from the US to the UK because she can't fly into the US because under the current rules, your partner can come in if you're with them. Mm-hmm. So she's gonna, they're going to fly over there, do quarantine, and then apply for visas to be able to travel back into New Zealand. So it's just the, that kind of huge rigmarole, that stress for um, you know Kiwis and their partners overseas. So some good changes there, but important to note that it doesn't include India and when I first did some stories on you know people you know caught up at the border and things I got inundated with emails from um, Indians living here in New Zealand or New Zealand Indians um, and wanting their partners or their you know fiancés or or, or, um, uh, to come in to the borders and um, and so that's not included in the countries that are listed Um, in yesterday's exemptions Um, and also you have to have had lived with your partner for a year and that doesn't do anything to help um, the Indian community who have a lot of arranged marriages so wouldn't have had that time together so still some things there to iron out interesting things and also just things that impact you know people and their families and their futures you know you want to start yeah. a future with your husband and you can't do that because of COVID restrictions so um, yeah still plenty of, of issues there yeah. to, to be ironed out at the border but some good progress I think yesterday. Cool. Well, that's a nice place to end it on a little bit of good news for us. So that was One News Inside Parliament, our weekly catch-up about the political stories we're covering as we head towards the general election. We're on Instagram, Twitter and on Facebook. It's available around this time each week on One News Online. And check us out on your favourite podcasting app. We'll see you next week. 